Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. If you guys need a hype man, Rob Parker is available five days of the week, right? That was awesome. Thank you, Rob. I'm from Honolulu, Hawaii, and usually when we start our sermons, we uh, make our hands into a rainbow and we say, Aloha, and the congregation responds, Aloha. That was good. Not great. That was good. <laughs> Maybe we try one more time. Aloha. Aloha. Thank you for doing the rainbows that time. That was really good. Normally, uh, when someone's leaving the plant church, it's Pastor Omar. And Pastor Omar usually gives really good uh, goodbye sermons, and I wanted to live up to that. So I thought really hard about what to preach. Uh, should I preach about Revelation or Genesis or I, I don't know. But I think God wanted me to share with you John chapter 21. It's the last chapter of this gospel. It makes no sense why it's there. It's super special. And we're only going to cover 11 verses because there's so much rich things in these 11 verses that I hope if I just talk for 20 minutes, you'll catch one thing and you'll take it home. And tomorrow morning when you're cooking breakfast or something, you'll remember that one thing that the Holy Spirit spoke to you. But before I do, let's pray. Holy Spirit, anything that I say right now on the mic, I pray uh, if it's not true of you, if it's not true of the Trinity, you would help us to just forget it. I pray that you would be glorified, that it wouldn't even be my sermon. It would be like, maybe I say something and then the congregation thinks on a tangent. It has, it has a different thought that you inspired. I pray you would be glorified. What is today? August 1st. I pray that the way that we walked into this building on August 1st is not the same way that we walked out. That we would have a new vision, a new way of seeing the world, a new way of being vigilant for your return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask my wife to come back up and read our scripture for today. And for those of you who have your phones or maybe you have your Bibles in your hand, it's John chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. And the scripture should be on the screen too. This is John 21, verses 1 to 11. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Debedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told him. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed him, or followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, 
for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. So, so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Do you guys have a bucket list? Show of hands, you guys have a bucket list? You guys know what it is, right? I was talking to Rachel last night, yesterday, about a bucket list, and she said, oh, you mean like to kick the bucket? Is that where the phrase, that's where it comes from? To kick the bucket, yeah. Before you kick the bucket, before you die, a bucket list is a list of things to do that uh, maybe it's a dream of yours or uh, goals. Maybe you want to run a marathon or paint a self-portrait or, I don't know, I made a bucket list when I was a kid, and there's only two things that I can remember that was on that bucket list. Number one, I wanted to pet a zebra. Don't know why, I don't have any special connection to zebras. I don't know what past Mitch was thinking, but yeah, if you ask me to make a list of my favorite animals today, top 20, I don't know what would be on it, but I guarantee you, zebras would not be on it. But it was ridiculous, right? Statistically, kind of impossible to pet a zebra. The second thing on my bucket list, oh, this one may be a little bit easier. I wanted to shake hands with a US president. Didn't care who, didn't care if he had retired or she was still in office, wanted to shake hands with a US president. And one day on Christmas Eve, I had to go to work, and I was pretty upset. I have to go to work on Christmas Eve? This is lame. So I went to the uh, local bakery to get like cool Hawaii like baked goods for my coworkers. It's Christmas Eve after all, and I'm running um, these different things at my job. So I'm kind of the manager. I wanted to like help them out and bless them, and I'm still kind of angry. And then, you know what, God? Thank you so much. I'm from Honolulu, Hawaii. I have all these cool benefits. It's Really nice, all these like secret traditions that we have on the islands. Nah, I'm not gonna be upset today. I'm gonna be happy. And then I showed up to work, and guess who I saw? A US president. Yeah. Wait, for real? I saw a US president, and he was coming to, coming to my job to participate in the things that I did for a living. I got to shake his hand. I didn't get to just shake his hand, I got to introduce him to my friends, I got to meet his daughters. I got to lock him in a room for an hour. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, I used to run six escape rooms. An escape room is just you get locked in a room for an hour, you gotta solve puzzles, and it's really fun. You have to get out by solving puzzles, you have an hour to get out. So when I play Two Truths and a Lie, I get to tell people that on Christmas Eve, I locked the president in a room for an hour with his daughters, and I had a blonde mohawk at the time. And then I get to say, I, you know, I don't know, hang glides with an elephant and we both survived. And people have to decide which one is true and which one's the lie. <laughs> that was on my bucket list, was to shake hands with US president. And that was a dream that I had for a long time. And at first, ah, you thought I was blessed before when I had to go into work? You thought I was thankful and grateful before, after shaking hands with the president? I couldn't stop, I was super hyped, I was so grateful. And then months went by and I was still grateful. <laughs> I started thinking about that dream. Kind of small, right? Shake hands. God disproportionately gave me what I wanted. But that was it? Such a small, tiny dream like that? I didn't realize it was such a small dream. I thought statistically it would never happen. So that's why I was on the list, but I didn't dream very big. I don't often relate to Peter in the Bible, but Peter had a dream. Peter dreamed that he would be a great fisherman, that one day he'd have a great hull of fish. And when, Jesus, when Peter first meets Jesus in the uh, Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, 
Jesus fulfills Peter's dream. He gives him such a large catch of fish that Peter calls his competition. He calls his friends like, hey, we need help carrying all the fish back to shore. Jesus disproportionately fulfilled Peter's dream. And I don't know how long it took Peter to realize his dream was very small, temporary. To be really good at your job, to break a record, such a temporary dream. But then Jesus does something that's really cool. He doesn't just break people's hearts and dreams for no reason. He gives Peter a new dream. He says, from now on, you will be a fisher of men. You will disciple men. And for the next three years, Jesus rocks everyone's world. Have you ever seen a person's face when they were born blind and then suddenly they get sight? Can you even comprehend that? The joy that someone must have, the, the maybe fear or excitement of seeing trees and, and what is that, a bird? That's what I've been hearing this whole time? Can you imagine the look on that, that person's face? Or how about a woman who depleted her entire bank account for 12 years trying to get better? Jesus healed her. Jesus healed him. For the last three years, Jesus has fed thousands, and we have no idea how he got the food source. For the last three years, there's been these intimidating, strong dudes who are possessed by demons. And Jesus wasn't afraid, and he very calmly said, get out, go into those pigs over there. For the last three years, there have been all kind of supernatural events, and, and, and even nature submitted to Jesus. There was a time where there was a storm that was so powerful that everybody thought they were going to die. And Jesus woke up from his nap and said, be still. And the waves and the storm, they, they just stopped. Intimidating pastors, teachers, Pharisees, they came up to Jesus and they, they tried to hit him with trick questions. And Jesus showed love, grace, defeated their trick questions, showed wisdom that nobody could have thought of. He answered questions in ways that no one thought to think. Where our scripture takes off, where my wife read the 11 verses, is after this Jesus that we put our hope in was crucified on the cross. Everybody watched as the Romans took Jesus and they stripped him and they beat him and they crucified him. These experienced killers pierced him for our transgressions. After three years of having their worlds rocked. And you know what the disciples do? They leave Jerusalem and they go back to the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee. The distance between the Sea of Galilee and um, Jerusalem is the same distance from West Milford to where I live in Piermont, New York, or West Milford to the Hudson River, 42 miles. They walked that distance. They just gave up hope. I'm going to look at this verse by verse. So in verse 1, we know that they went home, that they were fishing, that they were hopeless. And Peter says, I'm going out to fish. I'm going back to my old dream. I'm going back to my old ways of coping, my old ways of dealing with my problems my old ways of feeling fulfilled, my old ways of feeling achievement or security or acceptance. Before I continue going, does that resonate with you guys? When we're feeling hopeless, when we're feeling like disappointed, we go back to old ways of doing things, things that like help us to veg out maybe or make us feel more comfortable. I feel that way too, sometimes. That's not what Jesus called us to. I'm going out to fish, says Peter, and his friends, Jesus' disciples, follow him. It's super unfortunate that because Peter backslid, everybody was watching, and that other people decided to follow Peter. And in their restlessness, in their frustration, they went out late at night to go fishing, and these experienced fishermen caught nothing late at night. 
they must have felt so bad, right? They're so already hopeless. They're so already defeated and sad. And now they're at night and they, they try all their might with their human effort to catch fish and they catch nothing. They must have felt like they were in the dark. In fact, they were literally in the dark. I mean, it's late at night. And they're, they're, they're literally in the dark, but they're also figuratively in the dark. They just, I don't know. They don't understand why they're not catching any fish. They're not understanding why the, the Jesus that rocked their world isn't here yet. They must have thought that the last three years of their life, that their preaching was useless, and so is their faith. And then verse 4 happens. And I can see it so clearly. Early in the morning, a new light, right? The, the sun is rising. And Jesus, I can see him on the shore, because I'm from a beach. I can see Jesus with the crashing waves just coming towards us. And I can almost hear music accompanying Jesus, like from a Kanye West song. Just hallelujah, hallelujah. And there's Jesus, the same Jesus that John the Baptist points at and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the same Jesus that we've seen rock our worlds for the last three years. Jesus, it's a new dawn. It's a new day. It's a new life for us. And I'm feeling God. But that's just how I see it anyway. I don't know how you guys see verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. It's a new day for the disciples. They trusted in their own effort and in human wisdom in themselves. And often when we do that in our ministry and even in our lives, when we trust in ourselves and our own effort, the results are often disappointing and frustrating. And how great that Jesus comes into our lives. How great that he gives us a new day early in the morning. How does verse 4 continue? Jesus, who knows everything, asks, have you guys caught anything? And the disciples say, no. And Jesus says, throw your nets out on the right side. And they do, and they catch such a large number of fish. It reminds them of Luke chapter 5. It reminds them of that time that Jesus first met them and showed him that kind of miracle. So they run to the shore, and Jesus is there with uh, burning coals, fire, and bread. He's already got breakfast laid out. And you know what Jesus says? He tells the disciples, bring your fish with you. Why? He already had breakfast there, right? I hope you hear this in the nicest way possible. I, I'll try and say it nicely. Jesus doesn't need us. Jesus doesn't need them. He had breakfast ready, and still he invites the disciples to contribute to the breakfast. He still invites the disciples to bring their fish. And the whole reason I wanted to pick this scripture is because of this one little section of how many fish they caught. For some reason, the Holy Spirit inspired John to write and to add this detail that they caught 153 large fish. Do you guys know why he would add that number? I didn't at first. There's a lot of ideas throughout church history of why that number exists. If you write um, the Hebrew, the Israelites, when they would write in Hebrew numbers, they would write them out in letters. So if you wrote 153 in Hebrew on a piece of paper, you would see a word, and the word is Ano Adonai, I am God. Okay, that's pretty impressive, God. Pretty random, but are we going to rely on random? Another thought I have is that God cares about numbers. God cares about details. The entire uh, first part of the Bible in Genesis, God tells Noah to build an ark. And he has this much measurement. He says, measure uh, twice, cut once. He says, I want it this wide and this length and this height. 
It's kind of like he's a carpenter, right? God? And then God also tells us in Leviticus, hey, I want the tabernacle to be this size, this length, this way. So much details God puts it into it. In 2 Chronicles, we read that God wants a temple built, and he has so much precision and so much details in it. God cares about details. God cares about numbers. Jesus cares about numbers. He says he knows every hair on your head, every follicle of hair on your head. Jesus cares about numbers. God cares about details. So when we see this 153, we need to be aware maybe that means something. Not only that, the entire book of John, we've been hearing something that sounds like reality, and then there's actually something much deeper to be looked into. For example, Jesus says you must be born again. It doesn't mean you need to crawl into your mother's womb for a second birth. It means we're new creations in Christ, that we have a new life when we come to Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days. He's not talking about the actual world wonder that everybody worships God at. He's talking about his body. So when we see 153, it might mean something different. St. Augustine and Jerome and other people in church history that we don't really know that much about, they did the studying and they found out that the Roman government was aware of 153 different species of fish at the time. And I think if it's important to God, if numbers are important to God and details like that are inspired by the Holy Spirit and John has trained us to look at things a different way and Peter was given a new identity to be a fisher of men, I think it's safe to say that perhaps the 153 represents God's unstoppable mission to reach the world. God says he's going to reach the world in Samaria, in Jerusalem, in Judea, the ends of the earth. We know that this mission is unstoppable. It started in Jerusalem. It hit Honolulu, where I'm from. That's halfway around the world, and it's going to keep going. You and I are not needed by God to fulfill this unstoppable mission, yet he invites us into it. He invites us to allow our world to be rocked, to join with him in eternity. And that's the thing about eternity. It doesn't start after we're dead. It starts right now. You and I have the ability to see the look on a person's face when their ear was cut off and then it's just attached without surgical equipment. You and I have the ability to see someone liberated from sin, liberated from demonic oppression. You and I get to join in a mission of seeing someone who was dead, now alive in Christ. That's it. It's kind of the last thing I want to share with you, that God doesn't need us, that when we try to do ministry, when we try to live our lives in our own effort, it'll often lead to disappointing results. And that God is on an unstoppable mission to reach the world. The 153 number is a foreshadow of what he plans to do in Mawa, what he plans to do in West Milford, in Japan, in upstate New York, in your homes, with your neighbors. Jesus wants to rock your world, and he's unstoppable. He will do it. It's up to us whether or not we obey, because success came from obedience. Success came when they followed Jesus' instruction. Are we obedient today? Are we listening for God's voice? Are we choosing to be a part of this unstoppable mission? It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.